You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Today we're starting our sermon series through First and Second Peter, which we've titled Living Hope. Living Hope because that's what we have in Christ, and therefore that's, that's who we are, and that's kind of the, the, the theme, one of the themes of First, P, or first Peter. So, um, yeah, First and Second Peter, Living Hope. And today's sermon is going to be... Um, a simple introduction, a simple introduction to these two letters, which means we'll be discussing some broad topics, some big topics concerning the purpose of the letters. And of course, then, as we go through the series in the months ahead, we'll be discussing these topics in more detail, just as the letters do. I just didn't want to preach all the next four sermons in one sermon. So these are going to be you know, broad topics, um, but they'll still speak to us. God still uses his word to speak to us and, and change us. And it just so happens that the first two verses of First Peter, uh, which just seem like a simple greeting at first glance, like if you're just reading through First Peter and you read through it, you're like, oh, that's a nice little simple greeting that he's doing. But it's, it actually contains an immense amount of information, an immense amount of theology and doctrine, and it, and it opens up a window for us in regards to the purpose and context of the letters as well. And so we're going to be reading through those first two verses of First Peter. So if you want to turn with me there, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, if, if you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me uh, because Tina's doing an excellent job on PowerPoint. First Peter 1, 1-2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come here for one reason only, and that's to glorify you. We come here with thankful hearts to praise your name, to thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ, Lord God, and to, and to learn what, what that means, what that means to live in salvation, what that means to live in your hope. Lord God, and so as we go through your word this morning, I pray through your Holy Spirit within us that you would change us, that you would bring conviction, and that you would mold us more and more into your likeness, Lord God, more and more into who you've called us to be. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Imagine yourself in grade six gym class. Okay? Just go back to that day. <laughs> the gym teacher has just announced to your horror that you're going to be playing a team sport or to your joy, whatever uh, your preference is, you know, basketball, volleyball, or, or, or hockey or something like that, floor hockey. And to choose the teams, the teacher has picked two kids to be captains, right? And they're in charge of picking from the litter of their classmates one by one, right? And then naturally, of course, as the captains start calling out the names of the kids that they want on their team, the kids that they think will make their team the best, right? Suddenly, as you stand there waiting, that fear of middle school embarrassment creeps in all of a sudden, right? And, and you start to break out in a cold sweat as you think to yourself, what if they choose me last, right? What, what, what if I'm the last kid that no one actually wants on their team, but I just get forced onto a team by default? And people are like, oh, fine, we'll take him, right? Um, and if you've never experienced that fear, then get out. I'm just, I'm just kidding. If you've never experienced that fear, I'm really happy for you. That's nice that you just, you know, breeze through middle school with no problems at all. 
But let's be honest, then maybe it wasn't gym class, right? Maybe, maybe it was drama class or, or science fair or some, or some game at recess you wanted to be involved in or, or, or you wanted to be part of a group or a clique in middle school. Um, you wanted to be, be chosen to be in that because what, it comes all, because what it comes down to is that we all want to be chosen, right? We all want to be chosen. And even go back to the gym class, even if we don't like sports, even, even if we aren't very good at it, in a moment like that, when a guy's like picking different kids to be on his team or her team, right? You still want to be chosen, right? You still, you still want to be in the top five or, or maybe even first, right? Even if you tell yourself you don't care, like, I don't, I don't care if I'm chosen, right? I'm too cool for school. You, deep down, you really actually care. You want to be chosen because it feels good to be chosen. It's, it's a relief, when you're chosen, because you can stop thinking about whether or not you're going to be chosen or not. And on the flip side, it feels crummy to not be chosen, right? To, to know that people think of you as, as last on the totem pole uh, or possibly being re- ridiculed by your classmates because you're chosen last, right? We all want to be chosen. So here's the good news for all of you, for all of us. You've been chosen. You've been chosen. Not on a team for gym class, not for the price is right, so don't come on down. You've been chosen. You've been chosen by God. And this is one of the primary messages, our themes of First Peter. God has chosen you. And it's this glorious truth that Peter calls to mind right off the bat when he names the recipients of his letter the elect. He calls them the elect. Another way to write that is to say they're the chosen. What that means is that this letter is written to the chosen ones and the Christian churches, the Christians that have been scattered throughout the region that we would now call Asia Minor. And they've been scattered throughout that region for many reasons, persecution, evangelism, uh, whether as evangelists or because evangelists came to them, and probably even for political and economic reasons as well. So they're dispersed about those regions of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. As it says, and I have a map. Do you have that map? Do you know? Yeah. So I have a map here. And so Peter sent his faithful ministry companion, Silvanus, as it says in 1 Peter 5, to deliver and possibly even read his letter to all these Christian churches in those provinces and regions. And that red line is probably the, the route that Silvanus probably took, or, or if it wasn't Silvanus that, that brought it. That's the areas that First Peter would have been circulated in. Okay? But what I find intriguing about, about Peter's letters is that they're not written to one specific church in order to address that specific church's problems or, or joyful reports, right? As are most of the letters in the New Testament, like First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Timothy, uh, Ephesians, Philippians. Those are all written to specific churches to address their specific problems and their, and their joyful reports, right? Um, but rather, this letter is written to all the Christ-following churches in the area. It's to all Christians, to all Christians. And even based on Peter's writing, it's for both Jew and Gentile Christians alike. And I find that intriguing because while all the New Testament is inspired by God and useful for teaching and conviction and correction, absolutely. But since First and Second Peter is written for Christians, basically Christians in general, I think it speaks to us as Christians a lot more clearly. And so in that sense, I hope and I pray that, that we'll get a lot, a lot out of this series and that we'll be really changed by it. Um, but the other question is, you know, why should we believe what's written here as being authoritative and inspired by God? 
Peter says, you're chosen. Well, why should we believe that? Well, without getting too intense about that question and spending an hour talking about authorship and apologetics and all that kind of stuff, but just based on the text itself, though, we can see that Peter already anticipates that question, which is why he writes at the beginning his name, followed by his title. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And um, theologian Wayne Grudem points out in his commentary of First Peter that no other station or gifting in the New Testament is followed by the words, of Jesus Christ, right? It never says prophet of Jesus Christ. It never says evangelist of Jesus Christ. Um, which means for that, for Peter to write apostle of Jesus Christ, he's, he's reminding his readers that he's been given divine, Holy Spirit-inspired authority by Jesus to write God's word. Therefore, it should be treated and received that way. That's why we believe what's written there. And again, the purpose of this Holy Spirit-inspired word of the Lord, written by Peter and delivered by Silvanus, is to remind the readers, those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, to remind them that they've been chosen by God. They've been chosen by God. More specifically, that they've been chosen by God, for God, and to God. And again, since this message is for all Christians, we can confidently receive that word for ourselves as, as well. We've been chosen by God, for God, and to God. And those three points are what we're going to be going through uh, for the next half of the sermon this morning. And I hope that, that we can receive it in the same way uh, that Peter's original readers would have, with great encouragement, with great thankfulness, with great wonder and, and motivation to continue living in faith and obedience, to live in hope, to live in hope. So number one, we've been chosen by God. We've been chosen by God. What, what does that mean? What's the significance of that? So again, when Peter calls his readers the elect, he's reminding them that they've been chosen by God, right? And then he follows that up by saying they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, according to the foreknowledge of God. In other words, their lives aren't an accident. Their lives aren't an accident. They weren't randomly selected or even chosen based on anything they did but according to God's will, according to his design. Before the creation of the world, God knew them. God chose them. He chose us. He chose each of you. And this is significant because if God's choosing us was based on anything that we did, or if it was random, or if it was based on our request, then that isn't a choice at all. Right? If that was the case, then God would contractually, constantly owe us because we're, we're paying for his choice, right? And that certainly wouldn't be secure because if it's based on our works, then every time that we sinned, every time that we messed up, we'd lose our spot on God's team, right? We'd void the contract with every sin and mistake that we made. Besides, it doesn't really work if we go around telling people to love us or choose us, right, simply because we're the bomb, Right? That doesn't work. Try that when you're dating. Right? And, and you'll sound like a conceited narcissist, and whoever you're, you're going out for dinner with will slap you on the face and walk out. Right? If, if you're like, you need to choose me because I'm the mom. Right? Um, neither can we go around buying other people's love. Right? Here's a million dollars, so you have to love me. Right? You have to choose to serve me because I give you a million dollars. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. And what happens when a million dollars runs out? 
Rather, for someone to truly choose us or love us, it has to be their choice. It has to be their choice. For example, my kids didn't tell me to love them. I choose to love them. And therefore, my love for them is unwavering. It doesn't matter what they do, I will still love them because I choose to love them. And also on that same end, if some random kid came up to me and said, Hey, you, I choose you to choose me. I'd be like, don't tell me what to do, you little punk. Right? (laughs) Go find your own parents. I wouldn't really say that. I'd say, well, I would, but in a nicer way. (laughs) God has a great plan for your life, but go to your parents. That's what I would say to him. That's it. But seriously, since God chose us, since God chose us, his choice, before we even existed, God knew us, then we can be certain then that his love and faithfulness for us is true and that it's unwavering for us. First John 419 says we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. And Peter, who's writing this letter, he knows this undeserved love firsthand. Look, if you look back in the Gospels, remember, he was the one to whom Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan. He's the one that constantly lost his patience, was quick-tempered, and lashed out at people, even cutting off a guy's ear. He's the one that betrayed Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. As Jesus was heading for the cross. But yet, Jesus, after his resurrection, still approached Peter, served him breakfast, forgave him, and chose him to feed his sheep. He chose Peter to be an important pillar of his church. John fifteen sixteen, to all the disciples, Jesus says, you did not choose me. But I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. God chose us. Like Peter, we've been chosen by God. Before the creation of the world, he knew us and loved us and had a plan for us. How, humble, how humbling and joyful and relieving it is. To know this, right? As it says in Psalm 8, who, who are we? Who are we that God should be mindful of us? Who are we that God should choose us? Yet he does. It's incredible. And this remind, reminder, of course, would have been a great encouragement for the original intended readers, especially in the midst of their social and political climate that they lived in, being treated as outcasts. Right, being separated from other Christians, facing persecution and trials and, and temptations to be part of the, the world that they've been saved from, right? All circumstances and seasons of life where it might seem like God has abandoned them, like they're alone. But in one word, by calling them elect, in one word, this is a reminder that God hasn't abandoned them. And in fact, he never will because he chose them for this. He chose them. That leads us to the next point, what they're chosen for. 
Number two, they're chosen by God for God. They're chosen for God. Peter calls them elect exiles, right? Or exiles. And the word exile harkens back to the Old Testament when God's people were constantly in exile, right? Constantly strangers, constantly refugees, constantly captives in in a strange and foreign land. So with the use of that word, Peter's point is that through Christ, they've been chosen to be the new Israel. They've been chosen to be the new people of God set apart for God, to be holy, as he is holy, or as Jesus says, to be in the world, but not of it. As Christians, we've been chosen to be aliens, right? To reside in a place that isn't our home. And I can't say chosen aliens without showing this pic, because I have kids. We're going to a better place. The claw has chosen us. Every time you read First Peter now, you're going to think of that. <laughs> seriously, we, seriously, though, we've been chosen to be outcasts, right? So if the readers of this letter, you know, they're, they're reading First Peter and they're confused. Why are we being treated like outcasts? Why are we being shunned by the world? Why are we being persecuted? This is why they were chosen to be outcasts. They were chosen to be like Christ. Christ, is the, Christ said, Jesus said the world hates me, and they will hate you also. They they were chosen to be different from the world in order to show the world that light is shining in the midst of its darkness. And one of the primary ways we're called to be set apart, that we're called to be made holy, is to live lives of obedience to Christ. And we can see the progression in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 15. that agrees with what Peter's saying here. It says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, because you have been chosen... Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. We're chosen to live according to the gospel, to stand firm and bear fruit in our obedience to Christ. And that's a high calling. That's a high calling. That's an impossible calling. And it's also so easy to just just forget that and just be like the world. But on that end, fortunately, we're not on our own in doing this, in living this life. God's working within those he chooses, right? As as Peter writes, we're being sanctified by the Spirit in order to become holy, which means we're being changed, we're being molded, we're being directed, we're being continually convicted by the Spirit so that we can grow, so that we can remove whatever sin is is in the way, so that we can can be like Christ and mature in Christ-likeness, so that we can live lives of obedience to Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit within you that helps you live your life as an alien in this world. He's the one who sets you apart and also tells you when you're stepping out of line with the will of the Father. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. We were chosen for God. 
And the good news here is that even when we fail, because we do, right? We fail. But Peter points out that we can always repent and can constantly find forgiveness and grace through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That we walk and live covered by the righteousness of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. As Henry read from Lamentations earlier, right? His mercies are new every morning. And so again, we've been chosen in Christ to be God's people, and God is active in ensuring that we're perfected in that calling. And that leads us to Peter's final point. So first, we're chosen by God. We're chosen by God for his purpose. Number three, we're chosen to experience and know God. We're chosen to experience and know God. You may have already noticed in these two verses that Peter's putting the, the triune God front and center here. Right, as the focus and the means to our calling and purpose as Christians. And I find that an, an amazing thing to think about and ponder because just that, that idea that God wants us to know him and be like him with such intensity that every part of him is active in ensuring that it happens. I love that each person of the Trinity, God the Father's at work, Jesus the Son's at work, the Holy Spirit's at work in us, all are active in our salvation, all are active in our present, present lives, all are active in our future. That's how much God wants us to know him and experience him. He gives everything. He gives all of himself. I love that. 2 Corinthians 6, 16b. This, this is God's desire. It says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God chose us to know him and be with him and he won't stop. And he won't stop working. He'll keep working in us and pursuing us until that's fully realized. Love that. And to that end, Peter rightly finishes his greeting with a blessing that they may multiply in grace and peace. May grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That they may continually grow in their relationship with God. Because in the end, that's what it all comes down to. God chose to know us. And the more that we're sanctified in his grace, the more we'll experience that peace with God. The more of his presence that we experience, the more we trust in him and lean on him and grow in our relationship with him, the more we walk in faith with him, then the more we'll experience his peace in our lives. Whereas Peter writes, that peace will be multiplied to us. And again, what an encouragement for the Christians at the time as well, because peace wasn't something they were accustomed to in their culture. But in the grace of God, true peace, everlasting peace, a peace beyond understanding even, was available to them, despite and even in the midst of their circumstances and trials. And it's the same for us. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know his peace no matter what we're going through. In fact, it's, it's his peace that can help us and give us strength to persevere and, and get through whatever obstacles and trials that we're facing. And so again, in conclusion, we're chosen by God 
Who are we that we should be chosen? But we are. We're chosen by God. And we're chosen for God to be his people, to be set apart from the world, to live lives of obedience, to show the world that God is God. And we're chosen to know God, to know his grace and experience his peace. And this peace with God, of course, is what Jesus won for us at the cross. He won this for us at the cross by his grace alone. Because before Jesus, we have to remember, we're, we're enemies with God, right? We're at war with God. We're in rebellion, in sinful rebellion against God. But at the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sinful rebellion. And now through his blood, filled with the Spirit of God, we can find peace. Even parents, when their babies are crying hysterically, can find peace, Right? We can, because we can now be reconciled with God. We can now know the presence of God. We can know God who chose us for this abundant life of living hope. <laughs>